A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but it can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hi, how are you? How's everything in your world? I am... I'm feeling pretty good today. I just overcame a very personal thing, but basically about 10 years ago, I was asked if I would like to donate blood, but as part of a press drive to get more people donating blood. And I'd always thought, oh yeah, I should do that at some point. So I said, yeah, absolutely, count me in. And I turned up, and I think my appointment was about 11, and there was a little bit of faffing about with the paperwork and so by the time I actually gave blood it was closer to 2 p.m and I hadn't eaten since breakfast and this is significant I think because after I did my donation I then went and sat down so after you donate blood I'm sure if you do it you'll know all this obviously you get a little biscuit and some sugary squash to kind of get your blood sugar levels up but also rehydrate you anyway I drank that, but as I was drinking, I started to feel incredibly faint. And then I realized I was going to pass out. And I passed out in that really heavy, complete way, like in the movies where people wake up and they're like, where am I? I was literally like that. I was out, gone. And actually, it was really traumatic because when I came around, obviously I was in an NHS center. So I came around to see all these people peering over me and I could see like blue NHS, you know, curtains around me. And I thought maybe I'd been in an awful accident. Anyway, it turned out I just fainted after donating some blood. So, no big shakes. But anyway, it was enough of a... Oh, noisy motorbike. It was enough of a thing to really scare me and freak me out a little bit. And 
over the years, I kept thinking, I must go and have a better experience. Anyway, finally, today was the day. I booked myself in for a place not far from me, um, actually in Westfield Shopping Centre of all places. First thing this morning, and everybody there was so lovely, and there was one called Deborah who looked after me, and it was already smooth. I think the moral of this story is if you want to do something, but the first time you do it, you maybe don't do it exactly right, and it ends up with you feeling like you haven't had the best experience, it's probably worth having you another go. Because actually now that I've had a positive experience, my plan is to try and do that every six months or so, because I think that's a good thing to do. I'm not saying you have to. I'm one of those people that's not squeamish, and I also don't really mind needles and all that. But I know for some people that's like a nightmare idea. Anyways, that was, that's the start of my day. And now I'm also prepping, because the next week I'm doing my album some album photos and all the artworks coming together and the video and I'm feeling really excited about all of that. So I've been pulling out clothes and looking through my wardrobe for things that might work for the shoot. And yeah, this week's been quite good actually. Uh, I've had some slightly quirky things happen. On Tuesday, it was uh, a day where I thought I was going to be mostly at home. And you know when you're, it's, it's been pretty cold, isn't it? So this day, that day I was like, oh, I know. I'm going to sort through things in my house. I'm going to organise some bits and bobs. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. I got a phone call to say that they urgently needed someone to see if they could get to Pinewood because someone had had to drop out as a guest judge on RuPaul. And could I do it? So I went and did RuPaul's Drag Race on Tuesday, which was really good fun. And I hope I'm allowed to say. They didn't tell me I wasn't. So anyway, we can keep it between ourselves, right? Anyway, and I've also been booking some really cool guests for you. Oh my goodness, some really, really cool women coming your way. And that includes today's guest, the magnificent Philippa Perry, who I've wanted to speak to for a long time. And sometimes, you know, I'm sure I've told you before, but I book all my guests myself. So that means sending out a lot of emails and messaging people. Some people I've met, some people I've never met. And let me tell you, nearly two years down the line, it doesn't really get less cringy for me. So, you know, when it's a woman I really, you know, respect and admire, like Philippa, you know, she's obviously very sensible, very smart. I'm like, oh my God, here we go. So I sent her a little message and she immediately said, yes, she'd love to do the pod. So that was amazing. And I landed back from Australia the day before I went to her house. So I'd got back home, I don't know, let's say three o'clock or four o'clock the day before back into the UK and then was up bright and early, did the school run got to uh, near Philippa's house with my producer friend Claire we're grabbing coffee and I'm like pow pow I can do this but uh, <laughs> you know sometimes the old brain cells take a little while to uh, catch up anyway let alone if you also think it's like two in the morning or whatever time it would have been in Australia when I spoke to her but that being said Philippa was brilliant so much wisdom so much good advice uh, very lovely and open about her own life her own um, the way she got into being a psychotherapist, her experience of that, and of course, motherhood. And appropriately enough, while we were chatting, we were um, next to an amazing mantelpiece that Philippa herself had made. And it's basically a sort of tribute to fertility. And it's an extraordinary, very beautiful piece um, with right in the center of it, the core of the, of the uh, mantelpiece is um, a fertilised egg, so an egg with wings, and there's a mother and child, and then all round it is symbolism of things that she wanted to bring to her child's life and wanted to keep away from her child's life, the good, the bad. Um, it's an extraordinary thing, and she made it when she was hoping to get pregnant. 
which she, of course, did with her daughter, Flo, who is now 31 and an illustrator. And so, yeah, it was a really lovely chat. We were also joined by Kevin, the cat, and appropriately enough, <coughs> excuse me, as I talk to you, my cat Titus is very nearby. He's looking remarkably calm for a cat who not that long ago just broke a plate, my lunch plate, as it happens. Didn't you, Titus? That wasn't very nice. <coughs> oh, I'm going to cough. Sorry, that's annoying, isn't it? Um, anyway, it's a lovely, lovely chat. And it's just so nice. You know, she's one of those people where you can't go into the room and you, you're trying to turn yourself into sort of audio sponge, trying to soak up all the knowledge that you can while you're there. But I did my best for you. And here I now release the sponge. It's a great metaphor, isn't it? Really carries well. Have a good lesson. I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> Thank you so much, first of all, for the time. I've been so looking forward to speaking to you. And actually, on the way here, I'm normally pretty chilled before I come and speak to people, but I was feeling a little bit of nerves because there's been so many things I want to chat about with you. But also, I realised that as a psychotherapist, if we do have a long silence, you're totally cool with that. So I'm so it. cool with that. <laughs> you just have to check whether I'm awake. That's all. <laughs> well, it's everything you do. Got the fire burning, we might just, and we're on a really comfy sofa as well, so we might just sort of snuggle We down. might just fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. um, the other way I thought the podcast could work for me, it wouldn't sound very good for anyone listening, but for me it'd be great, is if we put a sort of confessional screen and I just tell you all the times I think I've screwed up oh, with my okay. parenting and then you just say I forgive you at the end of it and then... Okay, <laughs> whatever you want, whatever helps. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so where do we start with the here and now? What are you up to at the moment? What's going on in your world? Mostly, I am trying to do as many observer agony art columns as I can before Christmas so I can have a Christmas break. Ah. That's what I'm working to at the moment. I've also recently, in the last year, got my own painting studio. Oh, wow. So when I'm not doing my typing, as I call my day job, I'm in there painting Whereabouts is that? That's here or somewhere it's, local? It's um, about half a mile away from the house. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's really great. I really love it. It's really like, you know, the Virginia Woolf thing, yes. a room of one's own. It, I've yeah. never really had, I've always shared a house. I've never really had my own place. And it's uh, one room, a garage and uh, a kitchen and a loo. That's it. That sounds and like heaven. And it's sort of double height, so it's got good light coming in from the roof. It's a proper studio. And how does it feel to have a room of your own? It's just amazing. Sometimes I just go and sit in there. <laughs> that does sound like, to be honest, the, I had to tell myself off because in the first, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20 episodes of the podcast, I kept mentioning how much I wanted a room of my own. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, just, oh. I think, um, I think that thing, especially because we ended up, just by um, the way that, you know, the, the things turned out, doing the, all the original podcast recordings were all during lockdown. Yeah. So it was when that sense of any headspace was really at a bit of a premium. Yeah, you never got time on your own. No. Yeah. No, so the idea of having somewhere to go. And I mean, oh, And you can make a mess. That's the great oh, thing. Yes. I can make a filthy mess. I can leave it in a mess. I don't have to think about anyone else. You know, sometimes it's like got an inch of paint on the floor and I'm just skidding about. <laughs> And it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's just great. But art's, has, art's always been part of your life, right? Yeah, I went to art school uh, as a mature student when I was 27. And I did a two-year foundation. And then I did a three-year degree. So I've had 
five years of art training, um, but it's never been a job. I mean, I do mm. make a little bit of money by selling paintings, but um, it's never been my main job until now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not my main job. I'm just saying that as a sort of like what I want. <laughs> well, I did wonder actually if with your day job, if the art is a good place to channel things. I did wonder when you're talking about being an agony aunt. Yeah. Where do you put all of that, all the woes that are put with, placed onto you? Where, where, do you, where does it all go? Well, um, of course, uh, I've spent about 25 years of my life being um, a psychotherapist. Mm. And I've never been very good at switching off at the end of the day. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and worry about a particular client or I would feel the weight of several clients on me. And uh, other psychotherapists were very, very good and about going, oh, I know, I never take it home. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I wasn't very good at it. And I think that's probably why I retired from being an active psychotherapist. It's because I loved my job. I loved being with my clients. But... On Sunday night, I did have such a dread of having to start work again on Monday because I didn't know what would come. Mm. I didn't know what people would bring. Yeah. And uh, people do go through absolutely horrendous traumas and I want to feel with them everything they went through. So it's quite, it's quite exhausting. Yeah, that, you know, that, that feeling with. And I wouldn't want to do it any other way. No, I guess you have to be almost quite porous, don't you, when you're yeah. giving it to you? Because otherwise, how can you really listen if you're not actually yeah, you, taking porous it Porous is a good word. You don't want to bat it back to them. You want to, you want, you know, a trouble shared is a troubled halved. You do want to halve it. You do want to hold it for them. And presumably as well, if that's the muscle you keep flexing, that emotional in yeah. muscle you, you can't really switch it off even when you're talking to other people as well it doesn't have to be on when you're I found um, before I uh, retired I sometimes had to change seats on the bus because I thought oh, I'm sitting next to someone who's so depressed I could just sort of tell you wow. could just sort of pick it you, look, you become like a, a transmitter you sort of pick it up with your body after a while mm. And you think, mate, I'm not being paid. I'm not going to soak up your depression. So, you know, quite hard like that, mm. sort of not thinking, oh, here's a poor person. I, and I didn't think like that. I, was, I, got, I got quite hard, which was a, a bad thing. That thing you can hear in the background is Kevin the cat, who is attacking Claire's chair. Claire is the engineer. And now Kevin is biting Claire's wires. This is how hard it is working from home, everyone. Oh, I know. It's tough. This is still a lot less... Uh, the, my cat, who has now um, sadly died, cover your ears, Kevin, uh, Kaniki, uh, one of the final acts he did is while I was recording um, a chat at home, he yeah. came in and did a poo on the floor. Oh, great. That's <laughs> nice. Sort of like, okay, breathe through it. <laughs> So, Kevin, you're all right by me. <laughs> uh, Kevin's predecessor used to leave them in the fireplace. Oh, really? There, which I wasn't that keen on. <laughs> Kevin's incredibly house trained. He's very doesn't hasn't had an accident. I'm very pleased with him. I'm getting a good feel from Kevin. Uh, where were we? Um, talking about 
having to move on the bus with people. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Have yeah. you always had that, do you think, that ability to sort of no, pick up on people? not really. I think it, I got it with practice. Really? That's yeah. interesting, because yeah. I, I thought mean, maybe it might be something you're sort of predisposed to. No, I wasn't even very good at finding my own feelings. Oh, uh, that's interesting. No. I think you don't become a psychotherapist if you are perfectly well-balanced and uh, naturally good at relationships, particularly. Really? So... Sorry, I sound so surprised, but I just would have thought it might have come from the opposite. Well, some people might, but I don't think untroubled people make the best psychotherapists. Uh, Not saying I make the best psychotherapists, but... And then um, you learn how relationships are made or how relationships go wrong, so you sort of... You kind of need that. Yeah. And then you get so used to being a sort of radio receiver yeah. for people that that is difficult to switch off. But that is something that comes with practice, becoming using your body yeah. as a radio receiver. I'm sure some people can do it naturally. Like, I mean, you, anyone can pick up on the vibe in the room, but imagine that sort of times 10. Yeah. And that's what it's like being a psychotherapist. So being an agony aunt... Do I get overladen with people that write to me? No, because compared to sitting with someone who's, say, suicidal or something, it's um, it's easier. That's interesting. I didn't really... Because I don't get the body to body. Yes. I get the words, but I'm not picking it up on a bodily level when I'm, when I'm just dealing with emails. And actually, that's so heartbreaking to think that sadness has that physicality to it yeah that's actually quite a heartbreaking idea sadness despair anger all has all have massive physicalities that you, wow. you pick up on yeah that's and so was this what you were doing when you had your baby is this what was no going on? i uh i was a artist uh when i had my baby and then when i'm making art I just had to be completely absorbed with it that's the last thing I made actually that fireplace oh wow um that's incredible and you can see it's all about babies really because I was pregnant and so that um I'm just explaining there's in the middle of the fireplace there's a little fetus with wings in a temple yeah and that is the fertilized egg (laughs) <laughs> that's what that's supposed to represent amazing and that little temple with that pot in it is my is my womb supposedly so that was the last thing I made but when I'm making something like that I'm so obsessed I'm, I can't I'm not very good at doing more than one thing at once so I couldn't be an artist because that is all consuming so um I was a I couldn't do anything other than be a mother for the first 18 months And then when she started going to nursery, I'd always been interested in psychology. So I thought I would go back part-time to school to uh, learn more about counselling and psychotherapy. And um, I started practising when she was about four. I started practising as a a trainee after Mm -hmm. about two years. And... um, I just became a psychotherapist and I did it when she was at school and I could work around her because I wasn't very good at not working around her. I I was very much brought up by a nanny so that my nanny became my most significant other when I was a child and I didn't, I mean, 
I'm sure people can manage it really well so the nanny doesn't become the child's most significant other. But I didn't know whether I could manage that Mm. because that's not how, that wasn't my precedent. So I was too scared to get a nanny in case what happened to me happened to her. So um, I never had a nanny or any childcare or anything. Wow, yeah. So um, it was very tricky, though, when, say, she was off school and she was ill, something like that, because I used to work from home. Mm. And so when she was about eight, if she was little, I'd I'd have to get a friend. Can you sit with her? Well, I have my clients because I can't cancel six clients because it's too much work. So I'd get a friend to help me or something. I've got no parents or anything around here, Mm. so we're very much on our own. And... um, when she was a bit older, she didn't need that. And confidentiality, you see, people coming to the house. Yeah. And then I'd be downstairs in the front room and suddenly she'd start feeling better. And on the ceiling above, you'd hear ballet dancing going on. It's like, oh, my <laughs> God. Or she'd be looking after the, out of the window and she said, Mummy, I didn't know you saw two ladies at once. I think, oh, will you stop looking? You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> you know, this sort of thing. But that's I, listening to you say that you had made such a conscious decision to not have any childcare puts a lot of pressure on you to be all things all the time. I mean, I understand where that's coming from because um, if you felt that your nanny became your significant yeah. other, then that's obviously something you don't want and to then replicate. That, that's a terrible wrench when they go, and Ooh, I'm yes. not sure if I've got over it. <laughs> right, she says to you at age sixty-five. <laughs> Wow, that's interesting because I have had nannies in my kids' lives and I I do wonder about that relationship. It's such a fine line, isn't it, between getting someone where you feel they're completely your right-hand person. And they're lovely. And they're lovely, and yeah. And loving yes. and fun. And um, you can, if someone's like that, you kind of want them to stay in the kid's life. So it's, it's all very dif- difficult. Like, yes. I, never, I went to school when I was four, and when I came back, no nanny. And no goodbyes or anything, because they thought it would upset me. So, oh, and uh, yes, it did. And, <laughs> to have no goodbyes. Uh, so sometimes I'd come home from school age seven and start playing hide-and-seek by myself, looking in all the cupboards, looking for her, you know, quite old. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it was a bit sad. Yeah. And then when I was 10 and I was sent to boarding school, I had a sort of, I was crying because I was homesick. And then I, I can remember saying, I can't remember what she looks like. I can't remember what she looks like. He said, what, your mother? And they kept showing me pictures of my mother. I said, that's not right. And I've actually got face blindness now which I'm sure isn't anything to do with that. I'm sure it's a, um, it's a neurological kind of form of dyslexia. Mm. But um, I don't think it helped that I couldn't remember what she looked like. Yeah, so you never saw her again? No. Why do you think that there was no sort of open door policy with her coming to say hello and dropping in? I've no idea. You see, I've no idea. I don't know. I'm 65. Everybody's dead. I don't know. Mm. Um, so... But I do think other people and my friends, I see managing these relationships perfectly well and the children manage them really well. Uh, so I'm not saying don't get a nanny. I'm, I'm just saying the nanny shouldn't be the significant other. The parents should always be the most significant people in the child's life. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, and I know that you've also said that even if the parent's not around, there's still that relationship is so huge. It's yeah. so defining. It's not necessarily about proximity. It's just the significance of it because it's, it's a big deal. Proximity helps. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does help. Yeah. But um, so because it, it's funny because when obviously you've, you've written a book about the significance of that relationship. Yeah. And I think it's resonated so much. And I must say as well, your book is the only book on parenting I've read. It's the only book on parenting that I've recommended. A lot of books on parenting have felt like they're not really speaking to me. Yeah. And I love the fact that, I mean, obviously it's called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read, but I literally do think it does sit on top of it's sort of um, anything that's of the moment. It is a book that my parents could have read in yeah. the 70s yeah. and got the same amount of yeah. comfort, support, common sense, all those things from yeah. it. And I, I was thinking, I was saying it to Claire actually before we came over, that it resonated so hugely because if I, if I was on my deathbed and someone said, what do you want is your legacy? I think being a good mum is literally it. I think if you, everything else fell away, if I felt like I'd been good at that, if I'd raised people who have a good relationship with me, I feel like I've done it. Good relationship with you so that they can have good relationships with other people. Because I think relationships are so important in life. I don't think it matters how many GCSEs you get. I think it matters how well you get on with people, how well you get on with your peers, how well you get on with you with authority, how well you get on with people who may be weaker than you. I think relationship, being able to do relationships means that you can get on. Mm. I mean, I know uh, some of my friends' kids who weren't particularly academic, really good at relationships. They've got really good jobs because they get on with people and they can get other people to get on with people. You know, I've, I've, there's a, a, a friend of mine's kid is now... Um, He's sort of selling what he calls products in the city. And all he has to do is take people out to lunch, as, as far as I can work out. He's just good at relationships. And he, you know, sells yeah. a lot of what they call products. But I don't know what they are. I can't understand what he does. But I just think, well, how great. Yes. You know. That's true. But the only thing I was thinking about is when you're an artist, sometimes the bits of you that are rebelling and subverting are really crucial as well. So sometimes when you've got those people in your life you kick against, they end up being quite defining and give you a bit of like firing. Do you think you get enough of that outside of your yeah, home Yeah, anyway? I don't think we need to fabricate that. Thanks very much. Um, there'll always be a Donald Trump. Don't worry, there'll always be something to kick against. There'll always be, if we're going to have an enemy, let's make it climate change and, and not our next door neighbour, yeah. Yeah. And so when you became a mum, was there... Any books that were given to you that you remember yes. trying to make sense yes. of? Uh, they weren't given to me. I went and sought them out. Uh, there was one called Compassionate Child Rearing, which sounds a little bit like, you know, <laughs> planting seeds in the nursery, um, by Robert Fairstone. And the most marvellous thing about that book was an introduction by R.D. Lang, where he talks about this thing called diaphobia. Okay. And diaphobia means fear of dialogue, which is a fear of being impacted and influenced by the other. And a lot of us have it. And it's quite harmful when you're a parent 
if you don't let your child influence you with their view of the world, with their view of looking at things, even when they're teeny, teeny, tiny, and they, they've got a story about ants or something, you know, don't dismiss it. It's interesting. You know, it's their viewpoint. Let it impact you. And I think that just made such a deep impression on me. Yeah. Because I just thought anything I ever said to my parents never made any difference. So I thought I couldn't make any difference. And it made me somehow feel like unless I'm like them, I can't be acceptable. And so this you know, bells went off when I read R.D. Lang talking about diaphobia, which is in the um, introduction to this book by Robert Faston, which is quite a depressing book about where parents go wrong all the time. Mm. So from that point of view, don't read it, because it's sort of like, (laughs) I always say to people when they go, oh, I'm worried I'm going to go wrong, I say, focus on where you want to go. Mm. You know, don't look at the ditch what you might fall into because if you concentrate on the ditch, you might fall into it. So just look where you want to go. But this book is all about looking at the ditch as far as I can see. It's like <laughs> you finish it and you're terrified. But it is a good book, but you, ha- you have to um, be quite strong to read it. Well, yeah, and it sounds like quite a radical thing to put in the foreword about this, about this influence of about fear of just something simple like that interaction, yeah. that dialogue. Yeah. Because it's not something yeah. you'd necessarily think of as the first place to start with parenting. But obviously yeah. communication is actually Everything. what it all comes down to. And the baby is trying to communicate with you mm. and, and, and you must let them communicate yes. with you because it's so tempting to just go, oh, they're just crying, babies cry, rather than thinking, you know, what are they trying to say? Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And so were these things that came quite naturally do you think then when you were having when you had your daughter I don't think anything came particularly naturally to me another book I read was how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk oh I think I've heard of that it's brilliant it's American it's, it's written in American but don't let that put you off <laughs> um it's it's a great book and it's it's more about when children start talking so it starts at about two mm-hmm. that book but again, it's that book was about, and there's a lot of this in my book too, is about your kid is having a tantrum because uh, you can't take an aeroplane to the moon, okay, or can't swing, swim with the penguins, something like that. Mm. Don't just say, don't be silly. What that book taught me is like you, you empathise. Oh, you can't have an ice cream before lunch. I'm so sorry. I'm just too worried about nutrition to let you do that or whatever it is. You don't say, no, you can't. Mm. You go, you empathise with them because they can't. I'm not saying you should, you know, give them a plane ticket to the moon or anything. I'm saying, uh, although, of course, that is a good pretend game. (laughs) uh, What I'm saying is it it showed me the importance of empathising with the feeling. And I think it was a good thing. I read that book before I had my child. Yeah, it's amazing the bits of advice that do kind of catch you and you think, oh, actually, I'm really glad that came along when it did. I mean, there was never any books about how to bath or how to change a nappy that were remotely useful or interesting or, or, or even made an impression on me. Yeah, and I guess a lot of that as well, it's, it's like um, that sort of idea of problem solving, as if your kid is a sort of Rubik's Cube or something, that yeah. if you just get oh. the combination right, then you can be having pretty much the best bits of the life you had before, and then they'll be just doing the sleeping thing and the eating thing. And I think I probably would have got a bit caught in that if it weren't for the fact that my first baby was born early when I didn't have anything. I wasn't prepared. Yeah. It was two months early. Um I got unwell, which wasn't supposed to, wasn't in any of the textbooks I'd seen yeah. as being something I was particularly predisposed to. And I think it set me up really well to understand that there was so much out of my control. And actually, you just have to react to where you find yourself and, and the baby you have as well. Because yeah, they, they come with different. it. Yeah, they are. And I don't feel like I'm the same. I'm not exactly the same mother to each of my No, of course you're kids. not. You're not exactly the same friend to each of your friends. You're not the same with your husband as you are with your mother, you know. We are different with different people. I'm not saying we're completely chameleon. Mm. I'm saying we are a unique recipe. When you and me are together, we are different than when, I mean, I'm talking about teeny, teeny differences, but we Mm. adapt to each other. Yeah. Otherwise, we're brick walls that aren't being affected by each other, which isn't really interaction. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, with the motivation of writing the book, what was it? Was it your the things people were talking to you about? Was it your own relationship with your parents? Was it your relationship with your daughter? What was the What were the things? That, all of the all above. Of <laughs> yeah, 
I'd always wanted to write the book, I think, because I knew my parents were very good people, but they just got some crazy ideas such as, you know, spare the rod and spoil the child or um, children should be seen and not heard or um, don't give them any comfort, otherwise they'll hurt themselves all the time. When my daughter was about two years old, uh, she stood up underneath the piano and, of course, at 18 months old, she could stand up underneath <laughs> the piano with impunity, but she'd grown an inch. And so she hit her head really hard. And I was going, oh, baby, that does hurt. Come and sit on my knee. I'll give you a cut like that. And my father was going, don't do that. She'll hurt herself all the time. I thought, crikey, what? no wonder I needed 20 years of psychotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> that so, is really... So, you know, wow. they're well-meaning. <laughs> yes. Well-meaning people. And... and and most of my clients who came to see me, um, well, many of them, uh, didn't have terrible, didn't have monsters for parents, but they had parents that didn't know it was important to accept a child's feelings. They had parents who loved their kids very, very much, but couldn't cope if they were angry or rejected them when they were angry. So they thought they were not a very nice person because they had an angry part and they didn't know how to process anger to make it acceptable. You know, it's sort of like, if I'm angry, I'm obviously going to smash all the windows and ruin the world. I go, no, if you're angry, what you're going to do is go, I'm angry about that, so could we do this? Mm. You know, calm, calm, calm. But we can still have the anger if we know how to work with it to make it work for us and not against us. So when all feelings aren't, aren't accepted by parents... Um, the, the child tends to think that that part of them, those feelings that weren't acceptable, um, are horrible. So, you know, boys and men were usually allowed to be a bit angry about something. Women weren't. Mm. Boys weren't allowed to be sad or cry. Women were. So this leads to all sorts of terrible problems when you get older. So I thought I needed to write a book about how all feelings are acceptable and what we need is socialised ways of expressing them. And all, all behaviour is communication. So what we need are better ways of communicating so that behaviour becomes more convenient. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing about parents and children is the relationship between them. Because if children have a safe place to go that is a relationship with the parent, They've got a good, firm anchor that they internalise that becomes confidence. You can take that with you wherever you, you go. You take that you? with you, even after mummy and daddy have sadly departed this earth, which is why we must make our children feel like they're acceptable. Some of their behaviour might be inconvenient, but we'll find another way of expressing what they need to express, but they are always acceptable. I think I just wanted to make a book about I just got so sad that um, some teenagers couldn't confide in their parents because they were, they were told, oh, don't be silly, when they tried it when they were five or six or seven. Mm. Why would they suddenly think, oh, this isn't silly? Yeah. So I wanted parents to be a safe place where any child, teenager, um, young adult, adult, could 
say whatever they wanted to their parents? Why do people have to come to psychotherapy? Because they don't think they're acceptable to say these things yeah. in, in other milieus. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to put us all out of jobs, us psychotherapists. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the book's about. It's, so, it's to make psychotherapists redundant because it makes all relationships functional. That's what I want. Um, and I guess as well, there's a bit sometimes of a... It's a bit distracting, I think. I have to really choose my words carefully here, about when people get very concerned about... When teenagers are now... We have things like social media and the internet. Yeah. But actually, if you're sort of keeping in step with your child and keeping the communication open, then really getting into a sort of blind panic about what that represents is a bit like, I don't know, parents in the 60s getting worried about rock and roll music or yeah, something. Yeah, it is. It's exactly the same. But if um, you get interested in rock and roll music, um, you can find out what's frightening about it and what isn't frightening about it. So mm. if you see social media, if you're interested in your child's viewpoint and your child's world, you'll be kept up to date with what's happening rather than being left behind and frightened because you don't know what it's about. Which is the worst feeling, actually. And sometimes yeah. I've also said to my... My eldest is 18 now, and I've said to him, look, these are the things I'm being told I should worry about. Can you please tell me why... Can you reassure me about these things so that I, I know that we've... You, you know, yeah. this, these are the things that I'm being told yeah. I should be panicking. That's and great. Talk you're, me through why, why it's okay. Yeah, because you're talking <laughs> in I statements and being completely upfront and honest about it. Yeah, because yeah. it is quite... Quite a Wild West moment, actually, when they start to pull... I know it's completely normal, yeah. pulling away. And actually, I, I was thinking about the bit where my eldest got into double figures and suddenly all my positivity and reassurance didn't hit the same spot because he said, well, you're going to say all that, you're my mum. And that's quite hard, isn't it, when they pull away a little bit, like your your words and how amazing you think your yeah. kid is doesn't, doesn't have to So you impact. just have to get a bit more real. Okay. <laughs> you know, and say, well, I do think it's amazing because A, B and C, you know, a bit more, more convincing. I think a, a great thing is, is to describe, not judge. So rather than saying you're great, it's sort of like, my God, the way you handled that difficult situation in the kitchen back there and the way you put your friends at ease, I was, I was, I'm, I'm in awe of that. You did that so well, or whatever it is they did. Mm. So if you're more specific, it can go in. If you describe what you see, yeah. rather than go, you're great, because yeah. wh where's the evidence for great? Or you're terrible, where's the evidence for that? You know, you, have to, you have to describe, not judge. And, and with the book that's entitled about the book you wish your parents read, how does your child feel about that book? It feels like a natural person to ask for you know, I, I don't think I've asked her. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. You'll have to ask her. She's a great person to interview. <laughs> well, I, I love the book you did together. How was that working on a book together? Her illustrations are fantastic. Um, well, I'd written that book before with, an, uh, uh, with another, another illustrator. Oh, okay. I didn't realise uh, that. This is the book called Couch Fiction. Mm. That is a uh, case study of a bit of psychotherapy really yeah and I've, I've, I I did it like a graphic novel but even though I can draw and paint I'm so slow so I wanted someone else to do the pictures and when they wanted to reissue the book re, um, in, in a new edition 
I couldn't think of anyone better to do the illustrations because she knows me so well. And she's heard me talk about psychotherapy such a lot. Yeah. You know, under the ironing board to um, her place at the table when she gets a bit older. So I knew she'd get it. So working with her was as smooth and as easy as possible. How lovely is that? I hardly changed anything. She'd... She said, let me do it how I want to do it. I'll do a first draft rough, and rough out the illustrations. First of all, agree on what these people are going to look like. So I did that. And then she did the first draft. And I said, um, that's got to flow into that a bit more. And that is brilliant. I never thought of that. Oh, my God, you've interpreted that better than I would myself. That sort of thing. Mm. And then she only made about, we only had to redraw about three or four panels out of, whole book wow and so it was very smooth and very easy and what's it like when you get to the point where your child is an adult has grown up and isn't in that stage of the sort of very intense bit of mothering there is an adjustment you have to make in that you aren't in parent child anymore you're in adult adult and that means that um now their point of view their point of view has always been valid, but now you really have to drop the idea that you know best. Mm. And um, the other thing is, I think because they're so close to you, if they're, say, wearing a skirt you don't like or something, if you wouldn't criticise your friend for wearing such a skirt, don't criticise them. Mm. Sort of treat them more like you would a friend in some aspects. So... You don't say, oh, you're getting a bit skinny. Or you don't say, oh, you're putting on too much weight. You don't say those things. You don't say, um, oh, that doesn't suit you, dear. Yeah, because it's amazing how much unless you remember. You ask, every time a parent has said that to you, it yeah. stays, doesn't it? Yeah, it really unless sticks. they ask. If they say, you know, which one I should, should I wear? If, if you're asked for your opinion, yeah. give it. If you're not asked, stay stum. Mm. Nobody likes unasked for advice. Yeah, I know. I dish it out the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not on this instance. I'm asking for all of it for sure. And I'm actually really looking forward to the bit where the kids are adult because I think it's going to be quite nice to have that shift. Oh, I know what I did want to ask you. When you're, because I read quite a lot about parenting, I feel like such a work in progress with it. But what do you do? Obviously, you're only one one significant person in your kid's life. So, what's the best way to approach it if you feel someone else that is a big significance is maybe handling things I don't know it might be your other half it might be a grandparent or someone else that's you feel is skewing their own relationship with the child a bit um that's their relationship okay she got butt out and it's don't say you're gonna butt out but you've got your relationship mm. and you know hopefully your child feels seen and accepted and acceptable by you, feels that they can confide in you, feels like uh, you're a good encouraging person to to be around. Mm. And if they've got someone else who um, is like very judgmental or very sharp with them, then they'll have a different relationship to that person. And... Um, that's their relationship. If they've got one good relationship, they've got the relationship with you, they have got a significant witness. Mm. I mean, 
I think if grandma wants to overfeed them sugar, I think we should really chill chill out a bit. Oh, yeah. Not cool with that. My mum never gave me, like, advent calendars with chocolates in and all the kids get advent calendars with chocolates in. Mm. I can see the wheels turned. It's okay. Also, <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of want her to be that. I think yeah. it's nice... I never got an advent cabinet with chocolate in because I don't think they had them when I was a child. We got little pictures of the baby Jesus. Yeah, I had that. Or I get like, a, my mum likes those um, German ones, you know, with like a little bit of glitter on them. Mm, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> all, all in the ocean now, that glitter. <laughs> mum, what have you done? Okay, I'll take that off with that. I'll speak to her later. <laughs> no, please so, don't. I'll say if it was chocolate, I could have eaten it. That yeah. would be fine. Glitter, it's poisoning <laughs> the world. Actually, I shouldn't enter into conversation with anyone about glitter. I, I, I'll make sure it's all eco and sustainable I've definitely got a bit of glitter at home but I will be edible glitter's good yeah yeah that's what I'll put on my face for me (laughs) (laughs) then people can lick it off (laughs) lovely Uh, um so I think I know you've done lots of podcasts but it must be one of the few people you've spoken to who's also done a duet with your husband because I sang with him during your art club oh yeah yeah I did um my way we did a cover of my way oh you did a beautiful (laughs) And you did it your way. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think your art club was so brilliant. I really, really loved it. It was probably one of my top three things that came out of lockdown, that era, and just that community and the real lack of snobbery about art. I think is so important. I mean, I quite like the lack of snobbery about art anyway, because I think art is for the people that make it mostly. Mm, That's a very good point. And it's not about is it good or not is not is neither here nor there it's like how did it feel to make that Mm. you know what have you learned by making it and what I like doing when I make art is like I've got a problem like I want to make something that looks quite good already let's say a square meter of white canvas looks great how can I make it look even better you know that is my problem but better for me not better for anyone else Mm. um so I like I like it as a sort of problem solving thing, and I just get absorbed in it. Yes, and I just so enjoy that absorption. I want other people to enjoy the absorption in their work. Yeah, it's lovely to have that space for yourself, isn't it? Yeah, just that place. Just yeah, you get into what I call flow. Yes, flow. It's a very important state, actually, and it helps with thinking about other things. You sort of tend to problem solve when you're in that state. I think. That, that's really that's actually something I found in in short supply as well when we were in lockdown. But when I do my chats with people, I don't normally talk to people about fame because I think I think it can be the stuff that actually all yeah. all brings us together. But given that I am the daughter of someone who was on TV when I was a kid, yeah, and you have raised someone who's also got famous yeah. parents in public eye, I did wonder what the best way to handle it is if you're raising a kid where. A parent or both parents have also got a sort of public side. I never really, I never really thought about it very much. Um, That's probably the key, actually, um, to not really think A journalist about it. once asked Flo, when no other adult was present, uh, what's it like having a dad as a transvestite? And she said, I don't know, I've never had any other sort of dad. <laughs> Should you be speaking to me? Well, <laughs> well done, her. I don't think she said the last bit. I made that up for a <laughs> fabulous fantasy. But um, she did say, I've never had any other sort of dad. So um, I think that was around when he won the Turner Prize. In She was about 10 at that point. Mm. I'm sorry about all noises off. It's like the cat. It. It's, it's sort of like... 
sort of like, don't mind me, rips up the carpet, flies around the room. My favourite is when he sat in between the two microphones. That's yeah, that's sort of like, I'll get the most attention here. <laughs> it worked yeah. with me. I'm happy. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy having a feline present. It's fine. This is what he wants. He wants that. What, for you ma- to brush him? Yeah. Oh, wow. My cat has never had such luxury. No wonder he looks so... Sleek. So great. <laughs> <laughs> There might be a mouse behind the sofa, of course. That. No, he's a happy cat. Um, uh, that's very cheeky of the journalist to ask that. Yeah. So how do we handle fame? I don't know, because I actually never feel famous uh, because it's something, it's, it's in the beholder, isn't it? I, I, yeah. I'm just myself. I, how do you handle it? Um, I think, actually, for me, um, having... For the moment I became a mum, it was a really good antidote to the silliness. I love my job. I love singing. I love yeah. making music. But the peripheral stuff, I've taken it all with a pinch of salt, really. And I just love the fact that when I get home, it's all about the kids' day, what they're up to. I don't really talk to them about my work unless they're yeah. interested in it. Um, most of it, they, I don't think they're that aware of. Yeah. And, the, and as they've got older, the fact that I sometimes have to go away for work is something I've had to work on feeling less guilty about because yeah. mother guilt is great. And I realised I've worked really hard to get the opportunities where yeah. people book me and I yeah. get to do things. So I've yeah. tried to reframe it a little bit, really. Yeah. But in terms of actual like fame and all that, I don't think they think about it at all because it doesn't really, it's not in our house. It's not it's, within our It's four really walls. not something that the famous person, in my experience, is particularly aware of. No. Um, you might be aware of it sometimes when you're, you're, you're out with your family and somebody wants to come over and talk to you and you feel kind of a bit, a bit jarred because it kind of interrupts your family or friend's time. Mm. And it feels like, oh, what was that? That's a bit weird. But if you're on your own and somebody comes up to you, I don't mind. Mm. But if I'm with people, I feel, oh, please don't. Yeah, it can be just a bit kind of, yeah, just... Okay, that's a moment and then... But most yeah. people are quite... I mean, people are lovely and people yeah. are really nice. And, you know, I'm very lucky that I've had the opportunities I've had. And um, on the whole, it doesn't really bother me that much. And do people come to you with things they want you to help them solve? No, they usually say, oh, thank you so much for your book, which I love when they say that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. You can come up to me anytime, no matter who I'm with, to say, oh, I love your book. You can't come up to me to say, oh, I love your husband, because I find that annoying because I'm a bit jealous. So just saying. <laughs> Noted. Well, I, I do love your book. I think it's brilliant. And I think it's it's actually really fascinating that for all the complexities of people, so much of it comes down to that very pure exchange of wanting your significant person in your life just to say you're okay as you are it's amazing yeah. what power that has and yeah. how it can take a long time for that penny to drop even though it's yeah sort of staring us in the face quite often you're acceptable exactly as you are yes and I guess when you're a parent you don't know quite what a mirror it's going to hold up to you actually you're not quite ready for I don't think anyone could really quite explain it to you how you're going to have to confront so much of yourself aren't you? Like the way you handle things, the way you are under stress, the way you feel when someone else is, you know, really pushing your buttons, the things about your kid that you recognise, the things you really don't recognise, all of that stuff. It's a pretty wild journey, I think. It is, isn't it? It's so interesting. I wouldn't be without it, would you? No, I find it endlessly fascinating. And 
the only thing I did wonder is when I've been reading a book, I thought, oh, having a few kids because I have five, that's... Wow, well done. That's Is fabulous. it well done? Yeah. <laughs> because you're giving them siblings. There's bound to be one of the five that one of them gets on with. That'd be nice. I'd go for that. I'd settle for those odds. <laughs> No, I think it's fantastic. If you only have one, you can pour masses of attention into them. Mm. And, uh, you know, two, you can still pour one each, masses of attention. Three, how fantastic, you've all got some siblings. Yes. You know, I think people seem to have good memories of it when they look back. The being yeah. in it seems to be the tricky bit. I mean, um, uh, there's a lovely book. What's it called? Siblings Without Rivalry by the same people that... That, that wrote um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen to Kids Will Talk. Mashleesh and Faber, I think they're called. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic uh, exercises in there about how to slow it all down when it's kicking off. Oh, that to, sounds good. I could do with a bit of that. To, sound, to find out what's happening. If you've got the paperback version of my book, I've got a siblings chapter in the back that talks about how to deal with disputes between siblings which uh, is basically make sure back. they don't kill each other and don't take sides right yeah because I suppose if you're busy trying to promote kindness and communication sometimes siblings are not the best source of those <laughs> the great thing is is if you get into brainstorm to solve the problem themselves so you go okay so we've got two kids and one bicycle and so this family is richer to the tune of one bicycle, and yet it appears to be a problem. So how can we solve this? He says it was my turn, I said it was your turn. Okay, okay. So you both seem to need a turn on the bicycle. What should we do about that? And if you keep asking them to solve it, they come up with a solution, and they will stick to a solution that they have come up with and agreed together. Mm -hmm. Whereas it, it seems so much quicker to go, you have it first and then you have it, like top down that won't solve it because they haven't been involved in the solving of it. Yeah. So you brainstorm with them, sort of like, you know, first of all, you say, Euston, we've got a problem. And then you go, then you describe what's happening in a no-blame way. And then you ask everyone to brainstorm for solutions. Yeah, that sounds smart. I will take that on board. And I it think... will take forever. But <laughs> what you're you're not, you don't really care who has the bicycle, but what you're teaching them is sort of like, how to solve a dispute and how you dissolve a, a dispute is to listen to the feelings rather than get caught up in this thing called fairness, mm. which is kind of a little red herring that won't get you anywhere because they'll never feel it's fair. It's true. And fairness, I think, like even with adult children, um, say you've got four adult children and one of them, you know, has a lot of bad luck and suddenly is sort of nearly bankrupt or something. You might want to bail that child out. But the other three go, that's not fair. You haven't given us £25,000. But the thing is, you don't need it. Hmm. They do. You know, they've been through a terrible divorce that didn't go their way or whatever it is. And so I think we need it from the beginning. This thing, it's not who... It's not about making it fair. It's who's got the greatest need and whose feelings are the most, you know, ouchy or happy or, mm. you know, you've, you weigh it up differently. I think it, somebody once said, and I think it's a wonderful thing, 
If you want to teach children the value of money, you teach them the value of human beings. And I think that we don't want the value of money, we want the value of human beings. So yeah. that's what it's about, I think, when we're, we're talking about sibling relationships, that they are each valuable and so are their brothers and sisters. And there are as many worms as there are for distribution in, in the nest. Yeah. And what do you think the best thing will be? I mean, a lot of the time, a big brother will say, can you take her back to the hospital now? You know, <laughs> go. Yeah. Yeah. But if, you know, if a, if a big brother does say, can we take the baby back to the hospital now? Don't go, oh, you're a nasty boy for not liking your sister. What you say is, it's so hard having to share me now, isn't it? It's such a big change for you. You acknowledge the feelings you're scared of. Because that's a really big feeling for a, a big brother or a big sister to be usurped by a new one. Absolutely. And just fobbing them off with a toy is not going to cut it. Yeah. In fact, I wouldn't bother with a toy at all. <laughs> I would just give them lots of extra attention, sort of like, even sort of the extent like, oh, the baby's crying, what should we do? Sort of uh, well, I suppose I could go and see if she's all right. Yeah, you do that. You know, you can always brainstorm rather than tell. And when they come up with their solutions. A lot of the, the, the solutions seem to be based on having patience and time. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's quite tricky, isn't it? The thing is, it will always take you time. Okay. It will always take you patience. It's just that are you going to use that time telling somebody off yeah, that's or true. are you going to use that time to prepare the ground for everyone to feel more secure? Yeah, that's a very good point because actually the amount of energy and the time probably is about the same. I mean, if you think about it, it takes two seconds for saying, you have the bicycle in the morning, you have the bicycle in the afternoon. That's that. I'm not going to... Um, have any more about it and if there's any more shouting about it nobody gets any supper okay that will take no time at all mm -hmm. what you'll get is resentment feelings of unheard feelings of it's unfair and built up anger that will then explode in the next one yeah but if you take a whole half hour to get them to brainstorm solutions to the two children one bicycle problem mm -hmm. next time there's one PlayStation, four children or whatever, they'll know how to do it or they'll learn how to do it because you probably have to do it That's again. so brilliant. I'm going to just remember this stuff. You, you will, they will learn how to do it. And so it will save time in the long run. Yes. In the too. short run, you're going to go, I'm sorry, Wembley, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> There's a little bicycle problem here that I have to sort out. Can you put on another act? before I get there. Thanks so much. <laughs> don't worry, I don't really have the problem with Wembley very often. That's fine. <laughs> I have more time for the bike. Um, I think that's so... I mean, when you say it like that, everything sounds very sort of logical, really. It's just sometimes in the moment, isn't it? And I think... Yeah, it's very difficult when you're in the thick of it, thinking, I don't want my two children to kill each other, to step back and Definitely. see what's happening and see what would be the best way through this. But get them to help. You know, yeah. go, whoa, time out, everyone. Okay, what's the best to help? Okay, you're very angry. Do you, do you want to just kick off over there for a bit? You're very angry. You kick off over there, then come back when we've got dispersed the anger or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, 
No, that's very true. And I think actually that thing of giving them a bit of space just to calm down is always really, yeah. that's very valuable. I think, um, I think that makes a lot of sense and I definitely will try. I mean, I, I don't, they have kind of grown out of a lot of their like, it's just sometimes when there's, you know, you have those days where it just feels like everybody's a bit more on edge. And I suppose that, that leads me to the next bit. It's, is it ever too late to go back and say I'm sorry about something? No. No, brilliant. <laughs> and Great. Um, also, everybody's going to have a different interpretation of the same event. Mm. So that is accepting too. So uh, as far as you were concerned, um, you solved the bicycle dispute perfectly. But as far as they were concerned, it didn't solve it, Mum, because I, I couldn't be there in the afternoon because I had to go and do my maths tutoring or whatever it was. So actually that was a terrible solution and I felt really hard done by. I mean, we know it from your point of view, you had to get to Wembley, but from their point of view, <laughs> yeah, you can see it was very unfair. So you so. go, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't realise it was like that for you and uh, I'll take that on board. Can I ask something a bit controversial? What about if you have a child where you feel like they wouldn't be that kind and they just go, I'm having the bike, you haven't got one now to the other kid? Like sometimes your kid doesn't do... So I'm having the bike, decent. you can't have it, Uncle Uncle Godfrey gave it to me, <laughs> not you. <laughs> yeah, it's always Uncle Godfrey giving the, giving the <laughs> nice presents to that kid. <laughs> I said, well, if you don't want to share your bike, um, I suppose that is your prerogative. Or you can say, oh, well, I'm having the bike this afternoon. How does that feel? (laughs) I think we need to encourage people to see things from another point of view. How would you feel if Steve had a bike and you hadn't got one? How would that feel for you? Yeah, I'd be jealous of Steve. Would you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I suspect Steve feels pretty jealous of you right now having that bike. Okay, I'll share my bike. (laughs) Well, it's up to you. No, I've decided I will. I, I, don't, I want Steve to feel all right and I want to feel better about his okay. bike. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> and we're all going to bank maintenance course on Saturday morning. And anyway, all of, all of us are going to see my headline gig at Wembley tonight. Anyway, oh, yeah, so, it's going so to be fine. great. You won't be thinking about bikes by the end of today. No, you won't. <laughs> You'll be in the VIP room. <laughs> yeah. God, bikes are plenty. Yeah. <laughs> it's full of bikes. Yeah. And no Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think it's really useful not to go, oh, I'll buy another bike, actually. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a trap, isn't it? Oh, God, you can get so, so much stuff in a house that you can't walk through it. Yes. Once I realised that the toys had become a bit of a problem with my, my daughter and I said to her, like, what don't you use anymore? What can we throw away? You're not throwing away any of my toys. I thought, I'm going to break my neck unless I get some of this. So I, um, when she was at school, I tidied up and what I thought she used a lot I put on the shelves and what she didn't use a black bin bagged and put them in the loft so I didn't chuck them out but they were as good as chucked out Mm -hmm. she came back to the room and said mummy you found all my toys I'd lost that one thank you so much it's great so I just waited a week and then they all went to the charity shop you know the ones in the loft yeah it's sort of it's easier with less it's true I did have very similar experience, except one of the things I'd put in the loft and then gave to charity 
my um, eldest suddenly remembered about and said, oh, where's Crocky, which was this huge... Six foot long. Yeah, this <laughs> crocodile thing. And I said, um, I sat him down. And, I, and this was like three months later. And I said, yeah. oh, I, I actually gave it to charity because it wasn't being played with. And he went into sort of Italian widow levels of grief over oh. this toy. And then I saw it in the window of the charity shop. They kept it in storage and then put it in the window. Yeah. He saw it. I said, it's not the same one. It just looks like it. He went home. I ran back to the charity shop. I said, I've made a mistake. I need to buy that crocodile in the window. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they said, it's on a waiting list. They had to phone someone. I oh, then no. got the crocodile back, took it home. There was yeah. about 10 minutes of celebration. Yeah. Then it didn't get played with. It's back in the attic. Yeah, but what happened was you took his feelings seriously. So it's like, oh, God, you really wanted that crocodile and mm. I got rid of it. Hey, guess what? I've got it back. So he feels seen and heard in that. So although it's cost you one crocodile, one crocodile twice actually, and <laughs> six foot of space in the house, <laughs> you've actually made him feel important. Okay, that's nice. It's actually, um, it's currently in the charity pile again, Rocky, but maybe I'll, Maybe I'll discuss it, it this time. Yeah. yeah, he's 18 now. He's probably I mean, that's, that, that crocodile's made so much money for charity. Well, that's what I did think. You keep, you keep buying it back. I did think that. I was like, there's actually some good I did that to myself, actually. I put masses of books in the charity shop. Then I felt like, I can't exist without my Jane Austens, even though I'll never read them again. So I had to go and buy them back the next day. I always say you don't win any prizes for getting rid of something that you later wish you still had which is why I have so much time. Yeah, I'm not sure that's going to... That's not a good one, that. No, no. Uh, I think stuff is actually the enemy of, um, of, a, of a good life. I think we have too much stuff. I think you're probably right. And sometimes I feel a bit disgusted with how many things I own. I mean, I'm feeling, feeling quite smug at the moment because I had a refurb about three years ago. So this is only three years' worth of stuff you see here. It's actually but, really beautiful in here. Because so it's... But before the refurb, you couldn't see the skirting boards because there'd be sort of piles of books and unwanted gifts, you know, that were encroaching in on well, the you've done very thing. well to keep it tidy for three years. I yeah, think you've broken well, the cycle. I'm not, I'm not having to get to the stage where I have to order a couple of skips again. So. <laughs> um, I did wonder if you'd thought about writing a book on marriage because you've been married a very long time. And I thought that's probably the next thing, isn't it, with people with relationships? I am writing a book at the moment. Ah. I think I might call it Some Advice on Life, Volume 1. Ah, oh, there you go. That it might be good. in there. Okay. I don't know what I'm calling it yet. Uh, my uh, my editor wakes up in the middle of the night and sends me suggestions <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Luckily, I have my phone off. Um, <laughs> uh, it, but I quite like um, Some Advice on Life, Volume 1. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. I can picture that's going to have lots yeah. of stuff in Whether it. Whether I'll ever do volume two, I don't know. Well, you can decide, can't you? It's, I mean, in my, when I do my uh, column in the Observer magazine, I have 950 words and sometimes I need 1,500. So yeah. in the book, I can just pull out all these things, give more examples, give more theory, go in greater depth. Yeah. And it will be based on what I'm asked because I don't know what to say about what I know about psychotherapy to people or what I know about psychology because I don't know what they want to know. Mm. So the great thing about having the agony aunt gig is that I've got an idea of what people do want to know. And it's usually 
How do I have a relationship with myself, my work, my mother, my wife, mm. my son, my grandmother, my friend? Why haven't I got any friends? Why have I got too many friends and I can't remember their names? <laughs> it's, you know, I'm getting a picture of what people want to know so I can write about that. So that's what I'm doing. And are you in love with your job now as you've ever yeah. been, do you think? I love my agony aunt job, yeah. Mm. I love it, really love it. And I love, I do love writing about psychology in a way that, you know, in bite-sized chunks so people can get it. Psychologists and psychotherapists have very many clever, wonderful, brilliant ideas and observations and research. And they write it up in such a way that only somebody else versed in academic speak can read it. Mm -hmm. And I see it's my job to translate all this cleverness. And it makes me look very clever, but in fact, I'm just the translator, usually, of um, other people's research. But it's endlessly fascinating, isn't it? I mean, how people I think people function. are fascinating. And it's because we're not robots, because we are all different, we've got different genes, we've all had unique experiences growing up, that um, it, it's always, there's always something new to learn. That's what I like about it. Yeah, me too. I think that's... I think that must be like an endless well, really, of just richness. People, plus, people evolve things. New things happen, yeah. new challenges, unexpected turns in the road. Yeah. And it, it, Nobody stays the same. No, exactly. We, we, we all move all the time. We all have, you know, different encounters, different relationships, read different things, hear different things. And these things, you know, change us and we change and grow. And what I like about a long relationship is that, you're married to the same person, but you're not married to the same person because yeah. you each change and grow. So it became becomes exciting. We sort of like, you're in the marriage, then you go out into the world, you meet people, you learn things, you see things, you come back in the marriage, you share what you've each learned and you each grow richer with each other's observations. And if you keep changing, keep a little bit different it doesn't get too samey. Mm. I'm not saying we should all have complete changes all the time, but... What I mean is, like, you know, I can tell my husband tonight, oh, I had a lovely chat with Sophie today and we <laughs> talked about, you know, I can bring something in because of what I've done in the day and he'll tell me who he's met and who he's chatted to. Exactly. So keeps it going. Absolutely. No, that's the, that's the best kind of relationship, isn't it, where I think that's probably a mistake people make with lots of things, like friendships as well, that you have to keep it nourished. Yeah, you have to... A friend of mine used to have a column for the Times Literary Supplement, Mm -hmm. um, Hugo Williams, and he wrote a column for it, and he said for the first year it was great, it was easy, I could just write about stuff I'd done, things I knew, and he said, after a while I thought, oh, I've got to take my column out for a walk. (laughs) And I think you have to take yourself out for a walk to see new things, to bring them back, to make to keep things interesting for yourself and your, and your friends and your partner. Absolutely, I think that's really, especially as well with your creativity as well. When you've got that blank canvas, you need the things to kind of you need something to fill it. Yeah. So you have to go out in the world and see what you can see. Exactly. And it it, it might be what two colours look like in the sunset, or it might be. A volcano or an interesting person or whatever. Mm. Exactly. Well, I feel like I've taken lots of your time. And my only other thing to ask you is how you'd feel about maybe just moving into my house just for a few years, just to sit in a corner, observe, help us, 
sort things out. Um, and then I, then I will release you back to your home. I absolutely <laughs> love being around people and the idea of being in a house with five children would be my idea of bliss. This is going to work well. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's a deal. <laughs> okay, I'll just bring a small bag because you know how I feel about stuff. Yeah, and Kevin is welcome too. Okay, great. <laughs> we're, we're on our way. See, how much did you learn there? I learned a ton. And actually, um, interestingly, I had a, I was actually going to ask Philippa to help me solve a problem that I had with one of my one of my enfants. But as I was walking to Philip, a lot of times when I'm doing research, I read stuff, but I also like to download interviews that my guests might have done. So I was listening to a podcast that Philippa had recorded with Frankie Bridge. And in it, Frankie, whose son at the time was seven, says, my seven-year-old has got very obsessed with the idea of death and me dying and how do I soothe his fears? And that was exactly what I was going to ask Philippa because I was going through the same thing with Jesse at the time. Jesse, from sort of summer all the way through to the beginning of winter was really, every night, I could just keep imagining you dying. And Philippa said, I'm sharing this with you in case it's happened to you with one of your smalls or someone else you know, um, she she got to put them to put a little bit of distance between the child and the event by saying, um, well, look, you're now seven and I'm, well, I'm now 43. You can use me as a real example. <laughs> um, and I don't plan on dying till I am, let's say, 100, by which time you will be 70. And when you're 70, your life will be in a really different place. And of course, it'd be sad, but you won't need me in the way that you do now. And between now and then, we're going to have lots of fun. And actually, it really blooming worked. I only had to say that to Jesse for, you know, a few times. And then it started sinking and now he doesn't ask anymore. So thank you to Philippa for that as well. It's a very wise woman. And if you haven't read her book, the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad you did, then I very much recommend it. And I also really hope, uh, I can't wait to read Philippa's book about, did she say it was going to be called Life, Volume 1? I will read that for sure. Um, anyway... Thank you so much to you for lending me your ears again. And um, yeah, what a nice way we're easing ourselves into this new year. And uh, don't worry, there's lots more good stuff where that came from. I, I really think, um, it's just I think I've mentioned it to you before, but I always think of all the guests for the podcast as like populating an island. We've got a really cool island going on now, haven't we? We've got all sorts of people, all sorts of skill sets, some really good chats, some good giggles. It's a good island. It's a good island and you're on there too. We're all there together. I'm having a lot of fun. And I'll keep adding people with new skills and new bits of wisdom to keep that island exactly where you want to be. All right, have an amazing week. Stay warm, stay safe, stay happy, and I'll see you soon. Let's know.